0: Welcome to Creative On Purpose Live, conversations about cultivating greater fulfillment and equanimity in endeavors that make a difference. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Onward and head coach of Akimbo Workshops and chief difference maker at Creative On Purpose. If you're ready to cultivate equanimity while you make a bigger difference, visit creativeonpurpose.com and grab a copy of The Burnout Solution. Let's meet today's guest. I'm so excited. Sharon LaBelle. Welcome to the broadcast. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where can people go to learn more about you and the fantastic difference that you're making.
1: Okay. My name is Sharon LaBelle. I'm probably best known for something I did decades ago, which was to write a book called The Art of Living. It's the classical manual on virtue, happiness and effectiveness And it's a popularization of the ideas of the great Stoic teacher, Epictetus. I wrote this way back in the day, in in the last century, actually, before anyone was paying attention to Stoicism to Epictetus in particular. I remember talking to the New York Times and they called him Epictetus or something. (laughs) Um, But he was an obsession of mine, not him as a personality, but the very down to earth, uh, everyday wisdom that he offered. And so to this day, uh, the book has been translated into countless languages. It continues to be uh, a kind of bedside favorite. Some people use it as a kind of a daily uh, book for uh, setting their compass at True North. And I've gotten actually a lot of uh, messages from veterans, from soldiers who have carried the book uh, I- into the, the theater of war. And uh, it's it's helped pull them back from the brink when life has been uh, too much, too much. Uh, you can find out about who I am and my work at Sharonlabelle.com. And these days, uh, I'm always, Doing a lot of things. I I always follow the next good idea, uh, or I trust that it's a good idea, and I and I follow it. And what I'm doing these days is continuing my work as a musician. I, I play a one of a kind. Um, it's like a hybrid between a hammered dulcimer, a santur, uh, and a arm. It's got big monstrous thing that's got a hundred strings and it has an ethereal sound and I feel duty bound to liberate its for lack of a better word, holy sound for the world. So I'm always doing that composing on that. It's it's a music is a language I actually feel much more at ease in than um, uh, spoken language, written language. And I'm also working on a book on women and stoicism now because there's a there's a gaping hole there. So that's what's up.
0: Yeah, well, lots of juicy stuff to unpack there, but I want to start by reflecting um, a story about me and, and the art of living. So as you and I were just discussing before we came on, I am here on Emerald Isle. My wife and I are taking a vacation, our first beach vacation in six years. Um, 15 years ago, we were just a few doors down, staying here with our two sons and I brought the art of living with me and I read it on, on the, on the sand, in the sand, by the, so I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that was reading something inspired by Epictetus here on the beach. Um, that book had such a profound impact on my life and i cannot thank you enough for um for for creating it for sharing it and um i don't know why it landed in my lap at that moment in my life but it's it landed just when i needed it and so ironically i have the robin hard translation of discourses which i've never read um and I'm, I'm reading that this time around at the beach. So Epictetus at the beach, two, two times. And in full disclosure, Sharon, my, my main man is Marcus Aurelius. Um, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm on your team.
0: <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, and w- another thing that just just another alignment that we have is uh, I'm, I was a professional musician for 30 years. Uh, my instrument is um, a little more mundane, the guitar. Um, and I love what you said about music as a language because that's something I taught all of my students. I had a guitar studio for 20 years in the little town where we live in. And I would tell my students, it's it's serve the song, don't make the song serve you. It's music as a language. Languages are used to connect and communicate and collaborate, and create. Um, and I'll, I'll just also finally share that I was um, invited to attend the Women in Stoicism uh, two-day day, two day event that you um, were the keynote uh, at and you closed with some uh, riffing on your instrument. And it was really, really spectacular. I really, really enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed that entire event more than any other stoic conversation I've joined and I've joined a lot of them. So thank you for all of that work. Here's the thing that jumped out from your introduction. You brought up the idea of trust, which is a subject near and dear to our hearts here at Creative on Purpose. We talk a lot about the Goethe quote, as soon as you trust yourself, you will know how to live. And you talked about following the next good idea. I wonder if you'd be willing to just unpack a little bit more about how you think about and leverage trust and um, how how do you know when the next good idea is availing itself to you?
1: Well, I, I mean, if I'm really honest, I never know life is an unfathomable mystery but we can't just stand there inert we've got to try something um, I get I I hope I won't sound like I'm off my rocker I get what I call the voice <laughs> um, the voice it, it's it's not like an audible hey Sharon but it's maybe it's less of a voice. It's more like something beeps at me and just says, go this way, try this. And it it's always ended up that that's been the right thing. I, I mean, it happens that I determine that ex post facto, but I, you know, actually, Scott, I, I think that just, If we ever give ourselves wholeheartedly to anything, I I don't see how anything but good can ensue. I suppose in a way that's a restatement of the Goethe quote. But it's true when you just fully enter something, whether it's a text you're reading or a conversation, whatever is happening right now, if you dare to care and just Be willing to be just an abject fool, a clown, but you're going all in. It works out. I mean that—that's the greatest understatement in the world. I I, I mean, extraordinary things happen, but you can't will them. Mm. You have to just take. You know, it comes back to what you're saying. The key word is—is trust.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the saying, you can't push the river. And so m- much of the time, many of us, especially here in the good old USA, because of all the abundance and privilege that we enjoy, we, we find ourselves trying to reverse engineer all the results, that, all the things that we want in the world. Um, and I love what, I, I don't think it's um, off your rocker at all to talk about the voice speaking to, I mean, I, one of my favorite books is Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak. And that comes from the Quaker saying, um, And, you know, your life will speak to you if you are quiet enough and sit still, you know, have enough stillness. Stillness doesn't mean inert. Stillness means that you have cleared some bandwidth so that you can hear because the voice wants to speak to you. Life wants to unfold. Well, life is going to unfold. (laughs) But you can be in the here and now and quit cycling on harmful stories about your past that aren't serving your health and happiness and without clinging to the all the outcomes and results that you you know desire and pay attention to what's going on now. And life will avail itself, um, choices. And what I love about what you were saying is, so you just choose and you do because yeah, you're probably going to do it badly before you do it. Well, that's how you learned how to walk, talk, read, write, everything else meaningful in life. That's one of the things that I love about, um, just your, your your presentation during the 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 woman in Stoicism conference and the the fact that you played your instrument at the end. You know there was there was so much joy and playfulness in that um, in both your talk and in the the act of playing your instrument. And so much of the time, I think we just take ourselves and our situation a little bit too seriously. And if we held it a little bit more lightly, we could actually have some fun and um, and let our lives speak to us and, and make a bigger difference in the world.
1: Amen. And hallelujah, brother. <laughs> um, I, I also I have to say that I was being a, a little bit uh, affectionately mis, mischievous at the women in stoicism conference, I I've wanted so much for modern Stoics to get that it's not a contradiction to be frisky and free inside and still benefit profoundly, even in a transformative way, from Stoic teachings. So,
0: yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you're definitely in the spirit of Epictetus, you know, who was a provocative, he'd like to, he's, he strikes me in reading. Through the discourses, as someone that was um, sometimes intentionally speaking with a pointed stick, uh, he wanted yes,
1: to. You some fun. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: um, I like. I, I love that um, about your your presentation, and and just I, I love that idea. That um, yeah, frisky is 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 a great word. It's a juicy word. I just wanted to quickly bring in. My my friend Rocky and Rocky and I know each other through um, my work in Seth Godin's workshops and Rocky is an alum of several of them and uh, he is a huge fan of your book. In fact, I think he reads a chapter uh, a section out loud almost every day um, on LinkedIn. So, Rocky also a really huge fan. Um, I-, I wanted to talk a little bit if you're willing. Uh, I know that you're getting ready for Stoic Um and you you and i i first um saw you in real life uh as it was virtually um in the women in stoicism conference um one of the things that was again one of the best stoic related events i've ever attended and one of the things that there was just a really different vibe in the the entire event and in all the presentations, which were all presented by um, women, with the exception of um, Greg Sadler, who who led a session with his wife, um, and just wondering, like you, you you spoke about women in stoicism being kind of an under investigated, under shared um, thing, and that's what you're working on next. Do you see any distinction in the way the, that women approach stoic, you know, w- women who do um, uh, uh, weave in stoicism into their life or stoic reading into their learning, how they either approach it or leverage it um, differently than perhaps that men do. And feel free to avoid the question if if, if you don't want to go there.
1: <laughs> sure, Not at all. Well, um, it, it would be, I would be overreaching to speak for women, but I can s- speak from uh, my, my own observations. And that is, uh, we haven't been part of the conversation <laughs> until very, very recently. It is not our experiences that st- Stoicism, <laughs> in terms of its original text uh, came from. So there's a big missing piece there. Uh, You know, we do things like give birth, kind of major, we make people. And that is a very important part of the human condition because there's no human condition without it. Mm. And So I, I don't mean to talk about women purely in terms of our reproductive abilities, far from it. But I think females can, we're less, we don't have a personal stake as much as men do in the philosophy, because in a way it's not our tradition. It's something that we elect to be part of and to engage with. And I think we have a lot, to, not only do we have a lot to offer the, the tradition, which to its credit, evolves. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. I I don't think women would even touch it with a 10 foot pole, if it weren't naturally permeable, if it didn't naturally not have a boss. I mean, that's a huge thing. There's no official cult leader, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to disgrace himself, you know, it's just a (laughs) a body of really, really good ideas. That we can take on as our own, if we want to.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of my friends, Annette Simmons, is an author who who's she's. Uh, uh, primarily written about storytelling, but now her new book coming out this month is called um, Drinking from a Different Well, how women's stories change what power means in action. And one of the things that she is, I, I was graced with an advanced copy and the, an invitation to blur the book. Um, and one of the, the part of her thesis is that, um, you know, we read a lot of men's stories because for a long time, privilege was grossly un- unfairly distributed and only men's stories were really available. Um, and they tend to be compet- stories of competition yes. um, and women's narratives tend to be more collaborative. And um, that was one of the things that st- stood out to me at the event, You know, having attended several events that were much more male dominated, there did seem to be that competitive kind of posturing vibe um, that I've also witnessed in my short stint in academia um, and at the women's and stoicism event, I, I didn't pick up that really at all. And what I felt was there was a communal um, desire to just be as generous and uh, sharing as could be about, again, to what you were just saying about how a woman's perspective and a woman's application to this beautiful philosophical tradition that is based on the idea that if you just work at being a better person and do your best effort with intention and integrity, that's all the reward you need in this life. Um, So really appreciate your your going there with me and and sharing sharing those reflections. Um, Do you have any, do you have a due date for your next work?
1: I'm going to finish it by end of this, well, the first draft, I should say, end of this year, but I plan to have it out. Next year next
0: year fantastic I can't wait so it sounds like it's gonna be really really impactful curious if you mind sharing a little bit of your origin story how, how did you trip across trip over Epictetus um, and if you don't mind sharing like what was it that inspired you to uh, to write the art of living
1: well that's easy so I was the little kid with the the coke glasses, you know, the the little uh, square peg who didn't fit into the round hole, etc. I know I'm not alone in that regard. I mean, what you find out when you grow up is that everyone felt that way. But um, I was just, uh, since I was very young, I was always interested in the fundamental questions of life, because I just found it amazing that we existed. <laughs> I just I kind of couldn't get over that. Anyway, I had. Uh, I'll condense the story a little bit, but I I had the good fortune of uh, I lived in a very um, multi ethnic neighborhood, and the fellow who lived across the street from us was from India, and he was a philos uh, he was a philosophy professor at the local college and he happened to give me when i was pretty young what looking back on it was probably an intro to philosophy you know like a a survey course anyway i read it and really didn't understand it of course at that at that time but you know how when you're just sensitized to something uh it 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 plants a seed to beep later, you know, to for the voice to say something later, and so just throughout my young life, I was always reading philosophy, especially existentialism, because that was the hip daddy-o stuff. Um, and then in college, uh, I, I ended up studying philosophy and religion, and ended up doing graduate work in that too, and uh, finally. Uh, well, long story short, I was, uh, I was a young mother and my life was 52 pickup. And I happened on reading uh, Epictetus's discourses. And I, I, I just, I, I was amazed that no one had told me about this guy. I was finding uh, or, you know, hidden treasure. And so I just set about really for my own benefit, just writing uh, writing his words in a way that a harried uh, 20th, 21st century uh, mother of a, what felt like a million kids at the time, they've since fledged, um, you know, what she would need to hear. And then it turned out that it did have some universal benefit. So that's that's the condensed version.
0: <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate that. Um... My collision was with Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, which was loaned to me by my Latin teacher in seventh grade because he would he was a classicist who would translate the original Greek into Latin and then have us translate the Latin into English. And I wow loved that exercise. And so I would ask for extra work. And finally one day he said, Listen, kids, stop bothering me. Here's a copy of the damn book. <laughs> Go read the book. Um, and i borrowed that book so so many times that he gave it to me as a graduation present when i when i finally graduated and uh yeah i mean for me it was you know marcus was talking to himself in the very same way that i talked to myself and i just couldn't get over that you know like whatever i was 13 14 years old had something in common with you know the most powerful man in the ancient world in his time um and that we were asking ourselves basically the same questions and speaking to ourselves in the same way it was it's it's never left me um and i love your story uh and yes i had the glasses and the overbite and all the rest of it so yeah (laughs) i was never invited to the cool kids table either
1: (laughs) we showed them
0: that's right look at us now
1: well that's
0: maybe Maybe one last question before I get to the real last question. Um, and that is um, one of the things that I love about Stoicism is that it's, a, you know, in the Hellenistic era, everyone was asking, like, these were everyday conversations happening with everyday people. It wasn't in just reserved for the halls of, of academia. Um, and one of the things that um, Stoicism, just doesn't require a lot of you don't need a lot of pre-learning or background or um a a lot of lingo you don't have to learn like all these terms and and all these processes you can just you can just start with marcus or epictetus's handbook or whatever um it's like as as someone that practices uh, lives their you know philosophical discipline in in your work and, and and I'm sure your relationships and and your just everyday living. Um, what are your thoughts on how we can we can bring philosophy back um, back into the world and and not have it just reserved for the people that want to hang a sheepskin on their on their wall when when they've mastered the text?
1: Right. Uh, oh, many good questions embedded in that question. Well, the first thing, I'll take one piece of that. Um, First of all, how do we keep philosophy and its riches uh, alive and animating ourselves on a daily basis? I think it's really important to admit to ourselves that it is absolutely human nature to drift and return, to drift and return inhale, exhale. And and by drift, I mean, we drift away from our ideals. We drift kind of to sleep from our spiritual aspirations. One of the ways that, uh, and this fortifies my position as a popularizer, uh, you know, the person that academics love to hate, is that One of the ways we can return kind of quicker, I think, is by using simple mnemonics that are just quotations from philosophers whom we admire. And, you know, some people might sneer at that and say, you know, oh, well, those are just like slogans that you can put on a coffee cup or something. Nye, 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 nye. But the thing is, w- w- in, in life, we're dog paddling. We don't have time when we're trying to navigate all the micro decisions that we're making in any given day. We don't have time to dive into erudition. We have to make sure that we just, in this pivot point, summon the better part of our natures. And one of the best ways we remember to do that or do that little course correction or call it what you will is is through picking out a couple of uh, sayings that just, you know, hey, LaBelle, wake up, change change the direction of your ship by one degree. Mm. uh,
0: No, that's brilliant, that's brilliant. The last question I always ask my guests is just for a final tip or piece of advice um, that would help people that show up for this show that are um, either aspiring to discover, develop, and deliver the difference only they can make or to advance in an endeavor that they already have going. And I'm wondering if, um, if you're willing, I'd like to tweak the question a little bit. And if you don't mind sharing, what what is one what are one of those quotes that you keep close at hand um, to remind yourself? Hey, LaBelle, wake up and get back get back on the ship.
1: Well, it's it's absolutely you know Epictetus one oh one, which is know what you can control or remember what you can control and what you can't, because that that's our essential struggle. <laughs> Right. We're circling back to the beginning of our conversation where we're always, always, always trying to influence those outcomes and, you know, try to mold them to what we think is best. And, you know, we crash and burn every time. And so if we can just keep, you know, the fancy people call it the dichotomy of control, I just call it now, wait a minute. Over what do I have control in this immediate, intimate situation within which I find myself now?
0: Mm. So just for our viewers that, that may not be familiar, can you just share what what the what those two things are?
1: It, you mean what we have control over and what we don't? Yeah. Right. Well, um, in stoicism, there's this idea of indifference things, not indifference, but indifference. And these are what we don't have control over are other people's opinion of us. The, again, the outcomes of events, Uh, we don't have control over the weather. Basically, we don't have control over much of anything except what's how we, view what's what's happening it's it's all about what's between our ears
0: Mm, absolutely love it thank you so much for 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 sharing that with us sharon and thank you very much for your time we appreciate and thank all of you for tuning into this conversation sharon and i appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention We hope that today's broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. You can learn more about Sharon LaBelle and the great work that she's done and doing at SharonLaBelle.com. And of course, it's always fantastic to see you at creativeonpurpose.com. Now, take the insight and inspiration from this conversation and keep flying higher in the difference only you can make. Sharon LaBelle, this has been an extraordinary joy and I could not be more appreciative. Thank you so much for the gift of your time and wisdom.
1: Thank you. Really, it's been wonderful. Thanks a million.
0: You're very welcome.